The word of God says in Exodus chapter 3 verse 1, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. This is the word of the Lord. Now, if you've listened to the last podcast, you'll know that we discussed the design of the desert, but you'll also notice that we said it was part one, because this is indeed part two. And one might ask, why spend two, ver- two sessions, two podcasts on this one verse? Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Well, the reality is this. We're introduced to wilderness life in this verse. It's not that the previous few verses haven't occurred in the wilderness, but here we're introduced to the concept of Midbar, and last time we talked extensively about Midbar, but understand, over 70% of the book of Exodus takes place in the Midbar, the wilderness. In fact, if you go back to Genesis 15, over 70% of the land promised to Abram and his descendants is Midbar, it's wilderness. God gave his people, majority, wilderness and it's not a stretch for us to assume or even consider that the majority of our life as we follow the lord jesus christ will indeed be times of wilderness and that's not a negative thing god's not sending us out there to punish us but to prepare us prepare us both for the work he has for us in this life but also prepare us to be with him forever And so we should embrace the wilderness, but we also need to be familiar with the wilderness. And so we decided to take just this time aside to really discuss the wilderness, but specifically pertaining to this passage in the book of Exodus um, in in these couple podcasts. Last time we looked at the portrait of the wilderness and we saw the, the wilderness is a desolate, dangerous, disorienting, and even despicable place. And again, if you missed last episode, go back and listen now. We also saw the purpose of the wilderness, and in the purpose of the wilderness, we really dove into the etymology of Midbar. We looked at the ears that are necessary in the Midbar, and we also saw the education of the Midbar. But now, now we want to move on to three more things. We want to look at the provision in the wilderness, the promise for the wilderness, and finally, the product of the wilderness. It's easy to miss in life what god has for us in the wilderness when the pain the frustration the disappointment of the present just seems to overwhelm and overtake us in uh, raising toddlers i think there's an example that kind of strikes me um we might we might uh, priyanka my wife and i we might promise our, our little girl that we're going to go do something special maybe we're going to take her to the zoo or maybe we're going to the beach for the day or or maybe there's just some something special unique different that's going to occur uh, and she gets really excited she's a very excitable little one and and she loves these moments with mom and dad and her baby sister but uh you know it doesn't take too long for her to get in the car and we start traveling, and she's in that car seat with the constrainment of the car seat on her, where she starts to say, I don't love how I'm being limited right now. And the reality is that car seat or that vehicle is the very mode of transportation to get her to where she needs to be to enjoy what she's been promised. But she doesn't want the mode of transportation. She just wants the benefit. And how often in life are we the same way? You know, we we just want what God might give us, but we don't recognize that he has a process. He has a design of the wilderness to prepare us for the very thing he desires to give us. 
And, and so I'm reminded that oftentimes I'm just like my daughter and sitting in that car seat and just wanting out when in reality, wanting out is an evacuation from the very thing that is the answer to my prayer. It's the very thing I need in that context and situation. Well, here we meet Moses. Moses, 40 years in the wilderness at this point, 40 years since he has left Egypt, and he's watching sheep. Whether or not he's been watching sheep the whole time, I don't know. But what we do know is he's watching sheep at this point, and he's led his flocks to the west side of the wilderness. And if you uh, didn't hear the last podcast on the west side of the wilderness, we, we said this is really a backwards place. He is in the backwards place in life. He's behind the desert, as one translation puts it. He's really in the middle of nowhere, and yet that is exactly where God will meet him. And he'll also meet you and I there as well. But uh, I just want to remind you, I, I, we're not randomly saying that, okay, he's now 80 years old and he's been there 40 years. This is uh, comes from the, the sermon that, that Stephen preached over in Acts chapter 7, and he gives us these timelines. In Acts 7.23, he tells us when he, Moses, was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And then you skip down to verse 30 of that same chapter, and it says, now when 40 years had passed. So it doesn't take a mathematician to know that 40 plus 40 equals 80. So now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, and that's the same as Mount Horeb, in a flame of fire in a bush. And of course, that will be verse 2 of chapter 3, which we'll look at next time. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. So what do we know? He's 80 years old. Now, I got to stop here, just ask a couple questions, but also ponder some things with you. See, most people in life, when they turn 80, they're thinking about the end of life. They're thinking about retirement. They're thinking about cruise control and hopefully a painless ending to this existence, which was called life. But what we see with Moses is we see that is not the case. What rather we see with Moses is God's about to unload on him a brand new assignment. We're starting to see now this passion, which had been birthed from a long time ago, come to fruition and his experiences of the last 40 years be put into play. In other words, God wasn't done with this servant. Rather, we could even say God had just begun with this servant. And I want to encourage you, wherever you are in life, whether you're 80 years old or 8 years old, be careful about assuming that you have any privilege or right to cruise control to the end. If you're still alive, God didn't put you on life just to play golf and, and surf some waves and, and uh, eat good food and whatever it might be. He put you in this world for a purpose to conform you, but also to use you. And so I want to challenge your heart that, you know, you say, well, I'm not going to live to be 180. So it, it, well, I mean, sorry, 180. <laughs> Moses didn't either. He lived to be 120. I'm not going to live to be 120. So, you know, therefore, like, uh, you know, I, I'm not in the same situation. Well, hang on. Just say two-thirds of your life then. He's two-thirds through with his life. And, and again, none of us are promised 70 or 80 years. But if you live the normal life expectancy, the point is he was late in life, two-thirds through at this point when God shows up in a burning bush to say, Moses, I'm sending you back to Egypt. And so I just want to challenge you. Now, it's it's beautiful that this is the same Moses that penned Psalm 90. And in Psalm 90, verse 12, it tells us, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. I've been meditating a lot on that verse, just thinking about this Moses wrote that verse, and, and what's the connection? But think about this. First of all, when he says teach us, that word teach is actually the word yada. Does it sound familiar? 
a couple podcasts ago, we discussed yada. It came up in chapter 2, verse 25, when it says, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God knew. That word knew is yada, to intimately know. And we referred back to Genesis 4 saying, that's the same word of Adam knowing Eve and conceiving Cain. Intimate knowledge of the other. God knew. Well, here it's saying, teach us yada. Teach us. Well, what's the... What, what, what's the, uh, the, the connection there? Well, he wants us to intimately know our days. He wants to intimately be aware that life is short, but that there's a purpose. And what's the point of that verse in Psalm 90, 12? That we may get a heart of wisdom. It's interesting when it says, teach us to number, that word uh, number, mana, to assign, to appoint, to prepare our days. In other words, we are to live with intentionality in our days. Just because we find ourselves in the back of the wilderness late in life and think, man, I messed something up. No. Get ready for God's voice to speak into your wilderness and say, I've only begun. I actually have a practice where I keep a, a, this very jar on my desk and, and in it approximately, I've counted out the number of grains of rice between where I'm at currently, I just turned 38, and my 80th, 80th birthday. Now, there's no guarantee that I'll live to be 80, but if I, if I do, then I have approximately the number of grains in here until the age of 80. And every day, I, without I'm home, um, I take out a grain of rice. And what I do with this grain of rice is um, I'll put it in my pocket and keep it with me during the day, but I remind myself, this is the only today I have. This day will never come again on this side of eternity. It'll never come again, period. Uh, and how am I going to live this day? And that word mana that's given is a sign, a point, uh, prepare the day. In other words, intentionality in living. And I just wonder, what does God want to say to me today in my wilderness? What does he want to say today, even when life seems a bit backwards? Don't take today for granted. And then I keep that grain of rice in my pocket. And at the end of the day, I like to pull it out one more time and just think, all right, Lord, not, not for condemnation. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, but for conviction. What would you have done differently today? What, how would your schedule have looked uh, different? Uh, how would conversations have been different? How would your love have been more manifested? And what, what am I seeking to do? I want to know, intimately know the heart of God for my days. And, and I just want to encourage you. Here we find Moses, backside of the wilderness, and yet that wilderness is going to be the very place where God is going to communicate to him uh, the next step. Uh, uh, some of you might just be thinking of this. I like to say things that that maybe hopefully preempt some of um, the excuses that we like to give. You might think of Deuteronomy 34, verse 7, where it says, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. In other words, you say, well, I've got arthritis. I've got cancer. I'm sick. I'm in a bed. Da-da-da-da-da. I can't do what Moses did. God's not asking you to. God's not asking you to lead Egypt, uh, Israel out of Egypt. He's not. He already did that. He's got something special for you. And the question is, are you going to hear his voice where you're at? So excuses don't hold up because he didn't ask you to be Moses. He asked you to be you. And so let's talk more about this place of the wilderness. Um, let's talk about this third aspect. We saw portrait and purpose. But now let's look at the provision in the wilderness. Provision in the wilderness. And there's two things that... I see God clearly provide in the wilderness, and this is a pattern through Scripture, but of course we'll see the pattern emerge with 
Moses in Exodus chapter 3. The two things that God provides in the wilderness is he provides revelation from God and he provides a revelation of God. So revelation from God and revelation of God. Now, many do doubt God's provision in the wilderness, and they'll doubt that God's actually giving them anything good. In fact, in Psalm 78, verse 19, we read, They, this is the children of Israel, they spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? And that word wilderness is midbar. Can God spread a table in the midbar? Can he really provide for us? Can he give us the nourishment we need? Again, in Psalm 107, verse 35, it reads, he turns a desert, that's midbar, he turns a midbar into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. So again, what God's provision, God can provide, not only can God provide, God does provide in the wilderness. The question is, do we see his provision and do we accept his provision? What's the revelation from God that we're going to see in Exodus chapter 3 and onward? Well, it's good to just take note of the revelation from God, and that is that God's going to clearly give Moses his assignment. And we'll see that next time. Um, he'll give him the next step. And this is what God does. He speaks in that still small voice of 1 Kings 19 to Elijah. And where was Elijah when he heard that still small voice? Well, also by Horeb. Same place, same midbar, same God speaking to another prophet. And so we see revelation from God. Again, clarity, even after Paul comes to Christ in that Damascus Road experience, Galatians 1 tells us that he went three years into Arabia, which is a very similar midbar, if not exactly the same midbar, um, that we found Moses in and later Elijah in. And he received revelation from God, teaching from God. God instructs his children in the midbar. And maybe that's because many of the distractions of this world are set aside as we find ourselves, um, we might say stranded, but I would say God says situated in the wilderness. But then there's not just revelation from God. There's also revelation of God. And this is so beautiful. See, we're going to come back to this as we walk through the wilderness wanderings of the children of Israel. But um, I want you to notice that in the wilderness, God does reveal himself. Uh, just think back. We've got examples of uh, w w when he reveals himself as El Roy, um, the God who sees to Hagar. Where is Hagar? She's in the wilderness. When, when he reveals himself as Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides to Abraham, and when Isaac's being offered up. They're in the wilderness in a place of bushes and thorns where, where this ram gets caught. Um, when you see God show himself as Jehovah Rapha in uh, later on, in, not too far off in Exodus chapter 15, the God who's our healer. Where is that? It's in the wilderness where they desperately needed his provision. In the chapter after that, we see him as Jehovah Nisi, the God who is our banner. And where is that? Also in the wilderness when being attacked. Oh, we could go on in scripture and just see that God reveals himself in the wildernesses of life. And here in this very chapter, God's going to reveal himself to Moses as I am who I am. Um, you're going to say, I am sent you. He's going to reveal himself, not just what he wants, but who he is. This is the norm when you're in the wilderness. This is a place of intimacy with God, a place where God reveals who he is. It's not just a, in the lush valleys of life that we typically richly experience the revelation of who God is, but it's in the rocky terrain of the wilderness that he shows himself to us. Now, you may have heard me say this 
once or more than once, but it does bear repeating that if you want to know God as your comforter, do you expect him to zap you with the mere knowledge of himself or provide you with actually the experience where you're going to know his comfort? In other words, if you want to know God as your comforter, there needs to be a prerequisite of grief and distress. If you want to know God as your healer, there needs to be a prerequisite of sickness or disease. If you want to know God as your strength, there needs to be a prerequisite of weakness because in your weakness, his strength is made perfect. If you want to know God as your provider, well, there needs to be a prerequisite of need. If you want to know God as your peace, there needs to be a prerequisite of unrest. If you want to know God as your sustainer, there's going to be a prerequisite of a prolonged trial where he will sustain you. If you want to know God as your defender, well, there's going to be a prerequisite of being accused or, or, or having a, your enemy in your face. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. If you want to know God as your resurrection, this is one of my favorites, then, well, there's a prerequisite of death and resurrection follows. See, I just wonder how often... We want to avoid the wilderness, the place where he lets us experience who he is, revelation of God. And so we have a beautiful provision in the wilderness, and that provision ultimately is himself. And that's why we always say on this podcast, we pray for a generation who loves the word of God, revelation from God, and the God of the word, revelation of of God. But we don't just uh, stop there. There's another thing. There's the promise, the promise for the wilderness. You might say that's strange. Promise for the wilderness? Yes, this is actually for the wilderness. You say, what about the promise for me? Well, it will pertain to your life as well, but this is a promise for the wilderness. Uh, now, at this juncture, it would be wise for us to go back to verse 1 of chapter 3 and just notice that it says he came to Horeb. Now, I won't say much on this, but Horeb and Sinai are used uh, interchangeably, and that's good for us just to be aware of. Um, Horeb might be a bit more of a region than just one specific place. Um, there's various reasons why we say that, but again, for the sake of simplicity, it is the same general location. Um, but what about Horeb? What's interesting about Horeb? The, uh, the, the name of Horeb... Um, comes from a root that signifies dryness, drought, heat, and desolation. In fact, various, and when I say various, this is across the board, Hebrew scholars have defined Horeb to mean to dry up, to be in ruins, to cause to dry up, to run dry, to reduce to ruins, lay waste, or they've even called it the desolate waste or the parched mountain. Okay, do you get that? All of those meanings really come to this definition of midbar, which is arid, barren, lonely, separated, marginalized. But this encourages me. Why? This is exactly where God meets his own. He meets them on the parched mountain. He meets them in the desolate waste rather than flourishing and beautiful mountains or some standout location. God chooses a place like Horeb, and says, there I will meet you. Um, you know, it, it might seem off topic, but um, I really believe we have an application here on a spiritual level. And, and the application really goes 
twofold. The first first aspect of it is that this is where God meets us, but the second part is this is not where God leaves us. So it's where God meets us, but it's not where God leaves us. And I want to discuss that a little bit further, but by doing that, I want to go back to the wilderness before I go to your life. What do I mean by that? Well, if we walk through the scriptures, you're going to see very clearly that though God uses the wilderness and though God does not despise the workings of the wilderness, God also is going to transform the wilderness. So I've just taken one book and I chose the book of Isaiah. And I want to show you a few verses in Isaiah just to show you God's plan for the wilderness, his promise for the wilderness. So follow along and then we're going to get over to our lives and ultimately the promise for our life as well. In Isaiah 35, verses 1 to 9, I'm not going to read them all, um, you're going to find this to be the case. Look at verse 1 and 2. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus, a beautiful flower. If you live in areas of snow, oftentimes you'll see the crocus come up first when the snow starts to melt because much of it's underground, and so therefore it's sustained life, and it comes up. Um, Shall blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Verses 6 through 8. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, and the grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there. It shall be called the way of holiness. Wow, what promise for the wilderness. Go on to Isaiah 40, verses 3 and 4. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The even ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Isaiah 41, verses 17 through 20. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, and the olive. I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the pine together that they may see and know, may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. Are you getting the picture of the transformation the wilderness is going to go through one day? Isaiah 43, 19 and 20. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people. One more, Isaiah 49, verses 10 and 11. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road and my highways shall be raised up. What is the point of all of this? Look at the wilderness is not your final chapter and the wilderness is not the wilderness's final chapter. It wasn't for Moses. It won't be for you. Now you might say, well, what happened to the thousands, the millions that end up dying in the wilderness? For them, it was a final chapter. And I, I say it's true, but the wilderness wasn't designed for that purpose. It was designed to form them, not destroy them. It was designed to bless them, not to banish them. It was designed to conform them to God's image uh, to, uh, for us, to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, not to condemn them. And yours is too. Your wilderness has a purpose, and there is a promise for the wilderness, and there is a promise for 
you. Don't lose sight of it. But there's not just this promise for the wilderness. There's one more thing we want to discuss, and that is the product of the wilderness. The product of the wilderness. And what's the product of the wilderness? Well, we don't see it here in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. All we see is this is where he is when the call of God comes to him. But the product of the wilderness, I'll say very simply, is that genuine growth will happen in the wilderness. This is the product of the wilderness. You might say, well, that's a positive thing. I didn't say it as a positive thing. I just said it's the product. The wilderness will produce genuine growth. But the question is, what's growing? See, as a kid, I, I had gardens, and I was not a very good gardener, but I had gardens. I grew up in Senegal, West Africa, and um, I remember planting a garden with, I had potatoes, I had tomatoes, I had carrots, and I had mint. And uh, the, the problem is, is I didn't like tomatoes, so I didn't really have much care for them. Um, potatoes and carrots grow under the ground and so you can't really see how big they are how well they're doing until you harvest them and the mint did fine but the point being is that i would harvest my potatoes and carrots early because mm, i didn't have the patience and tomatoes i didn't really take care of very well because i wasn't going to eat them anyway um well you might say where's the story going well the story is going here that in my garden something else also grew that i didn't plant it was these beautiful green vines with like these little flowers on them now senegal is quite an arid country very much a midbar of sorts and so i uh i realized quickly that these green plants that most of you would call weeds grew far easier than my potatoes and carrots and tomatoes and mint. And so therefore, eventually, and you're going to think this is a joke, but it's actually the, the, the case, I decided, you know what, let's just pull up the potatoes and carrots and tomatoes, I think I kept my mint, and let's just grow weeds. And so I had a weed garden. Why? Because it grew easier in my garden than the things I had originally intended to see growing. Now obviously say that's a failure of a gardener, and you're right. But the reality is in the wilderness, we also are going to have genuine, genuine growth. We're going to have, uh, we're, we have fertile ground and in fertile ground, something is going to grow. But the question is, what's going to grow in your life? See, when you're in the wilderness, it's fertile ground, but it's fertile ground for growth or it's fertile ground for grumbling. It's fertile ground for intimacy or it's fertile ground for isolation, fertile ground for potential, fertile ground for, for peril, fertile ground for hearing God's voice or fertile ground for heeding man's threats. It's fertile ground for deliverance or defeat, for commitment or for compromise, for reconciliation or retaliation, for faith or for fear. Just walk through a pandemic or a challenging circumstance of your life and you're going to notice that something grew in your life and the lives of others. The only question is, what grew? You're not the same. That wilderness did bear something. Genuine growth did happen, but, but was it faith or was it fear? Was it confidence in God? Or, or was it seriously uh, just, a, an, a, let, let's say, a, a apprehension, a, a fear, a terror of what's around you? I don't know. But here's what I know. I know that James 1, verses 2 through 4, remind us that we are to count it all joy when trials come. And why? Because the testing of your faith produces, you say, okay, keep reading, steadfastness. And steadfastness, when it has its full effect, um, what ultimately happens, you'll be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I just want us to understand that the product of the wilderness really is to be determined. What are you going to allow to grow in your wilderness? Well, there's three ways you can respond to your wilderness. First, you can respond with apathy. Second, you can respond with anxiety. Or finally, you can respond with acceptance. Apathy, you're going to say, I don't need the wilderness. 
This is a reaction of fear and pride. You might feel um, that anyone but you should have to pass through these desert times of life. You might say, why should I suffer? Like, there's no point to this. I don't need it. Or maybe you'll have anxiety. You might say, I need it, but I'm exhausted. I'm tired of it. I don't want any more of it. I just want evacuation. And uh, this is common because in our flesh, it's what we're going to want. But there's a third thing. And this third thing is where you're going to see the growth of what God wants to grow in your wilderness. And that is, that is acceptance. This is the response that will promote the greatest degree of learning, but of change. And if you're in a wilderness situation, this is turning your life over to the Lord's control. And this is saying, Lord, have your way. Conform me. Change me. Convict me. Again, use this circumstance for your honor and your glory, whether it's cancer, whether it's difficulty in parenting, whether it's economic troubles, whether it's unanswered questions. I don't know what you're facing. I am reminded, though, of an old hymn written by John Nelson Darby uh, entitled, This World is a Wilderness Wide. The lyrics go, This world is a wilderness wide. I have nothing to seek or to choose. I have no thought in the waste to abide. I have nothing to regret or to lose. The path where our Savior is gone has led up to his Father and God, to the place where he's now on the throne and his strength shall be mine on the road. Get this, with him shall our rest be on high, when in holiness bright I sit down, in the joy of his love ever nigh, in the peace that his presence shall crown. Tis the treasure I found in his love that has made me now pilgrims below, and tis there when, O oh, reach him above, as I'm knowing all his fullness I'll know. And the last verse says, And Savior, tis thou from on high, I await till the time thou shalt come to take him thou hast led by thine eye <laughs> to thyself in thy heavenly home. Some of that is pretty intense English. It's definitely not what we use today. But I hope you didn't miss the point. He's saying, I don't belong in this world in the sense that this is not my home. This world is a wilderness wide. I, I've got nothing. I've got nothing that I'm aiming for uh, to hold on to here, but rather to be a faithful pilgrim until I'm with my Savior who has led the way. And this is where I give you my closing encouragement. Don't waste your wilderness. Don't waste your wilderness. When you find yourself now, soon, or commonly in the wilderness, don't waste it. You might be on the backside of the desert today. Life might seem backwards, but get ready for God's presence. In the very next episode, we're going to see how God communicates to Moses and practically how can we hear the voice of God in our wilderness too. God's presence, his provision, his promise, it all happens here in the Midbar. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Next time we'll discuss that, but for now, we are out of time. Please check out our website at www.intoyourbible.org for much more, or our YouTube page for resources, show notes, um, and just different things to help you on in your journey into God's Word and in this life. Um, But... Remember, this has been Into Your Bible, and this is a place where we seek a generation who loves the Word of God and the God of the Word. Thanks for listening to Into Your Bible, the podcast, an extension of the ministry of Rock International. This is a place where we dive into the Holy Bible, seeking a generation who loves the Word of God and the God of the Word. 
Wherever you listen, subscribe to not miss an episode. And if you want to take things a step further, leave a review so others can find it too. For free resources, show notes, and more, check out our website at www.intoyourbible.org. Until next time, keep diving in.